My warning for today's episode is that it will include sexual assault and sexual assault of a minor and the death of a minor. Thank you for listening. I'm Haley. I'm Andy. And this is Dead Endings. So this will be an interesting case today because, like I was just saying, we both know a lot about it and a lot about the details, and the way that I researched this was also a lot different than how I've researched other things because it was a lot of digging through court records yep. and learning a lot about how to use uh, the website for Nuevo County's like court records. And there are so many things that I don't know regarding this story, but I've organized the things that we do know, and we're going to jump into it. So today we are talking about Amanda Nicole Lanky. Um, She was born on June 7th in 1991 in Tennessee, but Amanda was from White Cloud, Michigan, which if you've been there, it's very small. The population of White Cloud is under 1,500 people. Her mother and some of her siblings had just moved to Florida, and Amanda was going to be starting school there in the fall at Powell Middle School, and she was going into eighth grade. In June of 2004, she had just turned 13 and was your every teenage girl. She loved makeup and music She liked the insane clown posse in Evanescence. Hell yeah. She liked butterflies, which I was not into butterflies when I was younger, but I really liked the symbolic metamorphosis, like, symbolism of butterflies now. Did you ever hear the Hilary Duff song by Metamorphosis? I freaking rocked. That was her first album. (laughs) Yo. (laughs) Amanda loved her friends and talking on her phone. And this was the point in time, too, I remember feeling very cool having a phone and being able to, like, text and call friends. At three-way conversations? Yeah. I would do those so much. I would I would feel so cool. I'm like, is somebody else online? Oh, no. No. It's just me. Say whatever <laughs> you want. So do you like this person? <laughs> She'd hang out with her friends at the football games, which the football games in Nuevo County for teens is usually, like, the place to be. Yeah, because, like, what else would we really have to do? Even if you have no interest in the football games, like, I had zero interest. It was fun to joke around That's with your where friends you were supposed in the stands. To be. Yeah. She was dating an older boy at the time, um, and I know that you talked with him, and yes. he shared some stories One of the stories that he had shared was about the last day he had spent with Amanda hanging out at Mill Pond, and they had jumped in together off the dock. Yep. And it just sounds like this summer was her last chance for a while to hang out with her Michigan friends, and she's just being young and having fun, and it's so close to home and relatable because of our ages and our location. Yeah. That I can, like, feel, like, what it would be like to be at, like, the mill pond pond. that day 
with your friends, as, like, with the older boy you're interested in, hanging out. As somebody who, like, I mean, I lived in White Cloud, so Mill Pond was the hangout spot in the summer. Every kid would be there using the slide to go in the water, jumping off the docks. Um, yeah, I definitely can imagine exactly what her summer was like because it was very similar to summers that I've had. That summer, she was staying with her grandparents, Tom and Linda, who still lived in the area, and her brother was staying with them as well, and the kids were spending the summer just, like I said, getting in their last bit of fun with their Michigan friends before moving to Florida. It seems like family life had been a little rough, to say the least, for Amanda leading up to this. Um, Her mother had divorced her father in 2002, and then in September of 2003, her dad was sentenced to two to four years for charges of child abuse. The charges on record were for multiple counts of child abuse in the first and third degree, which both charges involve intentionally causing harm to a child, but the difference in the charges is the severity of the harm caused, with first degree being the more serious charge. Um, I think that her mother was trying to move the family to Florida to just get away from that and get a fresh start. On June 20th, Amanda went to her best friend's house to spend the night, which she'd done before. Her friend had an older sister who I don't know if the older sister was still living in the house at this time, but there was also a stepsister, Amanda and her friend's age, as well as an older stepbrother. The story goes that when Amanda's friend woke up in the morning, the window was open and Amanda was missing. Her grandpa Tom was the one to call the police and report her missing. The police didn't really seem to take this seriously at first. They just thought it was like a runaway case. They decided pretty quickly that Amanda had probably run away and they treated it as such. They still looked for her, but it wasn't with the same sense of urgency that they should have had. Right, and uh, she, like, left in her PJs, right? Yeah, so there were, there had also been reports, and this didn't help with what the police thought. There were reports coming in all over the county of sightings of Amanda. People would say that they saw her with friends here, they saw her at Walmart here. Huh. But it's Nuego County, and it's a teenage girl, and if you think about summer, especially then, like, you see all sorts of teenage girls. I don't think anybody was trying to necessarily do harm. But yeah, so the police were taking those sightings as a sign that, like, Amanda's just running around with her friends. Um, I remember during this time seeing posters up with Amanda's face, and a story began going around during the time that she was missing that Amanda had been talking to somebody online and that she had possibly snuck out of her friend's house to go meet this person. But two weeks later... Around the 4th of July weekend, a pair of couples were mushroom hunting in the Manistee Forest. And this forest covers half a million acres, but it's broken up into sections that spread across the state. So it's not all one big forest. Yep. Which, yeah, obviously. (laughs) We know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, as they searched for mushrooms, they discovered Amanda's body off a trail seven miles away from her friend's house. It appeared that she had been killed somewhere else and then left in the forest, and she had been there the entire two weeks. Amanda was still dressed in her pajamas from the sleepover. It was determined that she had died from blunt force trauma to her head. Um, Her skull and jaw had been fractured, and it was believed that she'd been hit with a baseball bat or a metal pipe. I don't know if 
Because usually when somebody goes missing, they try to be like, okay, well, what are they wearing? Right. Are her clothes here? So I don't know if that was tried to determine to see if she had changed her clothes. You'd just think that if they, if they thought it was a runaway, you know, she would have brought stuff, but she didn't have anything. Yeah. That was taken, everything, I'm assuming everything was left at the sleepover. Yeah. So. But again, like, I've, like, I did all of the speculation, but I thought about it just yesterday, considering how this plays out. Did somebody get rid of her stuff from that sleepover and then just, like, be like, I don't know where her stuff is? Oh, yeah, that's true. Cause, you know? Yep. I, yeah. And like I said, it's hard to get some of the details from this. Yeah, because it was, it was such a complicated case. Well, it wasn't a necessarily a complicated so case, but there were so many stories and there are so many other people's opinions that were a part of it. So the news reported at one point that when police searched the area near where her body had been found, that they discovered a car with blood in it. And there's like a clip from a news story stating so. But I couldn't find any follow-up on whose car this was, if it was abandoned, if it was connected to Amanda. All I could find was a few other people who had also heard of this supposed car being near the scene. Yep, I've, somebody told me something similar to it but nothing ever came up for it and i mean it didn't seem like it was as important as it probably should be or so amanda had been speaking to somebody online through msn messenger which yep (laughs) i loved msn messenger that was originally how i communicated with my now husband really (laughs) yeah oh my gosh (laughs) we would talk on msn messenger um, this person's username was Schizokilla. Yep. The theory that police developed now was that Amanda had been chatting with this person and then set up a plan to meet them, and whoever was using this name was the one to have killed her. This story doesn't sit right with me, and anyone who knows the details knows that this didn't pan out, but even from the beginning, looking at what we know of Amanda and knowing that she was found in her pajamas... A 13-year-old girl isn't going to make this plan to meet someone that she's been talking to online and then sneak out in her pajamas. She's going to get dressed. She's going to put on some of her makeup. Yep. It just doesn't make sense. And she would have told her friends. Oh, definitely. I think, like, she was really close with her friends, and I I think she told her friends almost everything. I don't see Um, a situation where a 13-year-old girl is talking to somebody online that's going to completely keep that to themselves or have plans to go meet up with this person. No. And at 13, usually you'd be like, come with me, like, let's sneak out together. Yes, exactly. And also, like, in all of the photos that I've seen of Amanda, she always had makeup on. She was always done up. and... And it is, if you think about it, even, like... Even as a little bit older than 13, even some adults, if they're going to go meet somebody that they have any sort of interest in, they're, they're not, not going to go in their face. PJs. Yeah. Nope. No. So police conducted over 400 interviews, multiple lie detector tests, and submitted a few DNA samples, which they clearly, after they found Amanda's body, they were very motivated to figure out what was what happened. Her boyfriend at the time was one of the many people looked at and accused by police and interrogations for having killed Amanda, but police weren't getting anywhere. He had a solid alibi, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, he... He was at birthday bash. He was not involved in that (laughs) crime against Amanda. Yep. Um, but years went by without any real progress. Persons of interest would come up, but then they'd lead nowhere, 
In 2008, police were still reporting in the news that Amanda had snuck out to meet someone she had met online, and a reward was offered to anyone with information that could lead to an arrest in the case. In 2009, it was announced that an arrest was going to be made of a man who had lived in the house that Amanda went missing from at the same time she went missing. The report said that this arrest was unrelated to Amanda's case. This was an arrest of the stepbrother of Amanda's friend, Cecil Wallace Jr. Cecil Jr. would have been about 16 or 17 years old at the time of her murder. He was being charged with one count of unlawful imprisonment, as well as multiple counts of assault with the intent to commit great bodily harm less than murder. Three women were listed in court records related to this case as having restraining orders or personal protection orders against him. He initially pled not guilty, and the case was set to go to trial with many people being subpoenaed to testify. But he was given a plea deal and sentenced to serve 17 months to 10 years, and he was sentenced at the end of December of 2009. Uh, he has since been released. A few more years went by when a woman in Texas was reading about news related to her hometown of White Cloud, Michigan. While looking into Amanda's disappearance, the woman made a disturbing realization. The house which Amanda had gone missing from belonged to Cecil Wallace Sr. Cecil was the stepfather of Amanda's best friend. The woman had been friends with Cecil's older stepdaughter years earlier when she was a young teenager. She had gone to spend the night at her friend's house the same way Amanda had, and she was looking forward to a fun, normal night being a teenager and having a sleepover with her friend, and what she got instead was a night of horror. Cecil aggressively raped both girls through the night. They were terrified of him, terrified to tell anyone what he had done, and the two girls agreed between each other that neither would tell anyone about what they had experienced that night, and the woman never returned to the house, resolving to essentially wipe the night from her memory. But after having this realization that Cecil was in that house when Amanda went missing, the woman knew she needed to tell somebody. I'm so glad she did. Yeah. And I think that there were statements from her about just guilt that she had over this, which it wasn't her fault. She no. was a child who experienced something traumatic and tried to deal with it in the best way she could. And her reporting this is extremely courageous, no matter how long ago it was. Yeah. Police started the investigation into Cecil Wallace for the sexual assault of the girls. They were able to get enough evidence, apparently, because they charged him with two counts of sexual assault in October of 2011. Cecil's bond was set for $150,000, and while looking into this, I realized that some people were confused on how he came up with such a large sum of money for his bond, but when a bond is set, only about 10% is actually required to be paid to the court in order to be released. Yep. If the defendant doesn't show up on their court date, then they'll be fined the remaining 90% of the bond, but Cecil didn't need $150,000. He only needed $15,000. Yep. And he was able to come up with that, which, I again, that's still a solid chunk of money, but maybe he used a bail bondsman. I don't know. He was released on November 5th, 2011. You can use, um, like, cars and yeah. your assets as collateral, too, yeah. when you're doing bail bonds. I just know that the few sources that I found on this, some of them were like, how did he get that much money? And I'm like, he didn't mean that much. Yeah, it's really, I mean, there's lots of bail bondsmen willing to negotiate because of the, uh... I mean, they could possibly get free stuff. Yeah. Free car. <laughs> so Cecil Wallace Sr.'s preliminary hearing was set for November 10th, 2011, and it was announced that he was a person of interest in the murder of Amanda Lanky. So this is where I'm very frustrated because this is a man who is being charged with the sexual assault of two minors and is being listed as a person of interest in the murder of another one 
Bond should have never been. I set. agree. There, he sh- there should have never been that option. It should be, sir, you're staying in prison until trial. Yeah, until we can figure this out. Yeah, exactly. So for me, that is one of the, if not the biggest fuck up in this whole case. Yeah. I don't know if there's like requirements, but I feel like sexually assaulting and possibly murdering young girls meets those requirements for not getting a bond set. I think so too, but there's some judges who just want, like, they think that if you're a, what is it, a flight hazard, or like if you're gonna run away, Mm -hmm. they're worried more about that, but if you, they don't think that you're gonna run away from it, they'll, they'll just let you off on bond. Well, clearly this judge, he made a bad decision, did not have the best judgment. (laughs) Yeah, no. Which, uh, <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah. So Amanda's family began picketing outside Cecil's workplace, which was a towing company um, in nearby Big Rapids. It seems like police were focusing in and Cecil was worried. The news reported that Cecil spoke with multiple people about finding one of the victims accusing him of assault, and he may have been trying to find the woman in Texas who had spoken out against him, or even possibly his older stepdaughter as he'd filed for divorce from his wife a few years before, so they were no longer together. A few days before his court hearing, Cecil's family reported him missing. On the morning of November 10th, which was the day that he was supposed to show up um, for the preliminary hearing in the sexual assault, his vehicle was found in an isolated area in Nuego County, and he was found outside his vehicle, and he had taken his own life. Even with the person of interest in this case dead, the investigation didn't just go cold here. In 2014, charges were brought against two family members of Cecil's. Cecil's sister, Candace, was a White Cloud police officer as well as a former White Cloud city council member. Candace had been fired from a position as a police officer in Macosta County in 1999 after she falsified a report that Cecil had hit a deer while driving when he'd really crashed his car while drunk. Yeah, and you and I have talked about this, Mm -hmm. but, like, if you have history of forging documents to protect family members, you probably shouldn't be in the police force after that. Yeah, because she was then hired by the White Cloud Police Department after that, and she was, at this point in 2014, facing perjury charges for supposedly lying to prosecutors about the Amanda Lanky case. Hmm. So this person has a history of trying to protect her brother, She also claims that she was never involved in the investigation of Amanda's death or present at any crime scene because she was a police officer in the area at the time. Uh, But other officers dispute this claim, saying that she was at the scene where Amanda was found. Yep. Um, Candace was facing multiple counts of perjury and was facing up to life in prison if convicted, but she took a deal and pled guilty. The details of this plea deal included that she would have to take a polygraph in regards to any other information she might know, and that the charge would be a misdemeanor instead of a felony, but that she would never be able to have it expunged from her record, which... Okay, good. but... I feel um, like it should have still been a felony. So this is what makes me mad. She was sentenced to serve 60 weekends in prison. How this type of sentence was determined, I have no idea. My best guess would be that there was someone in her life relying on her for her income. Yeah. Um, but it just is very frustrating that there are people who have nonviolent sentences involving, like, drugs, drugs which and... is not good, but they're not violent crimes. No. And they don't get to only serve weekends or get benefits. Like, 
you're saying that you believe that this woman lied regarding the murder of a child. And she can And she just loses her weekends for a little over a year. Yeah. Candace tried to appeal her conviction, but the appeal was denied. I don't, I don't think, if you plead guilty, you shouldn't, you don't have a right to To appeal. appeal. You don't. Sorry. Her son, Marcus, was also charged with perjury and making false statements related to Amanda Linke's murder. He was also facing the possibility of life in prison from the charges, but took the same plea deal as his mother and was sentenced to serve 60 days on his weekends as well. Again, you're telling me that these people are lying about something related to the murder of a fucking 13-year-old child. And they get off like this. (laughs) Marcus would have been 16 at the time that Amanda was murdered. He was ordered to take a polygraph test to determine what else he might know about the Amanda Lanky case. The results of those polygraphs don't appear to be public. I don't know if they were able to gain anything from them. I wish they were public so bad. I know polygraphs are just tools that police can use to try to point them in the right direction. And I, I do feel like it's common knowledge at this point that polygraph results are not admissible as evidence in court. So yep. it's not like... That was just, like, an extra step to see if they could get pointed where they should go next. Right. No other charges, though, have been brought against family members, but police have stated that Cecil Walsh Jr. is a person of interest. And to clarify, this doesn't mean suspect. It just seems that the police believe that the family knows much more about what happened to Amanda. Because they do. An interesting tidbit, according to the person that Amanda was seeing at the time of her death, was that a few years after he'd been accused of killing Amanda, he was 19 years old and struggling with life when he tried to commit suicide. His attempt failed and he ended up staying in the psychiatric wing of the hospital called New Focus. And he says that one of the counselors there who was supposed to, like, help him was Candace. And it's... Like, how do you even get these jobs in communities after having, like, a hic- a, like a record like that, you know? Yeah, which at that point, she had only lost the job in Costa County for covering up her brother's thing. But at the time when he was in new focus, she hadn't been accused of anything to do with Amanda Lanky's case. Oh, damn. So there were rumors also confirmed by this individual that Amanda kept diaries which police took after her body was found. I think that a girl Amanda's age who was going through so much, of course she kept some sort of diary where she probably would have written down everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and supposedly she did. It's said that her diaries contained her accounts of having been assaulted and raped, and she named a few people, including Cecil Wallace Sr., If all of these details are true, then I'm concerned regarding the investigation that took place here because I mentioned earlier that in 2008, the news was still reporting that the police didn't have leads and were looking into who Amanda was talking to online, going with the theory that she snuck out. But if you have a murdered teenager, I feel like the first place and people you would look at would be her last known location and you would want to clear the people in that house. Yeah. So how are those people ever cleared enough to look at anybody else? When I was younger... The rumors that I heard before this case was solved and before um, Cecil Wallace Sr. was even, like, implemented was that it was him all along. Like, it was so odd that there were so many people in town that knew that mm-hmm. he had something a part of it, but he wa- it wasn't proven. And then when it was, or, or he was actually finally a person of interest, he essentially got away with it because he killed yeah. himself. And... Like, that's not, that's not true justice at all. See, that's interesting to me because clearly many people within White Cloud knew that Cecil Wallace Sr. had done this. 
but I was far enough away that I feel like the community around me was very much like, oh, she was talking to somebody online and she snuck out and the dangers of strangers on the internet. Right. Um, but, like, if her diaries had been seized early on in the investigation and these accusations were in there... Why like, wasn't there... Why wasn't he a person of interest sooner? I also question if the house was even ever searched. I couldn't find anything about that. And if they spent the first two weeks assuming that she was a runaway, that gave the people or person, people, whatever, involved a lot of time to cover their tracks. Absolutely. And even after she was found, it doesn't seem like they were particularly focused on Cecil until years later. I've looked up the house online, and it appears like there's a few locations on the property, like sheds and a detached sort of garage-looking building. And so in my mind, I'm like, there's so many different areas that they should have searched that could have, like, something could have happened to her outside of the main house. Right, like, was there any items that would contribute to the blunt force trauma that she had, you know? Amanda was laid to rest in Flat Rock, Michigan, near Detroit, where her mother had graduated high school. It seems, though, that police kept parts of Amanda's body as evidence for years, which is another detail that really bothers me, and I haven't been able to find other accounts of this happening quite the way this did. I don't know why having the actual remains was necessary, or why photos or measurements or even molds wouldn't have sufficed, but the rest of her remains were laid to rest with her in 2013. Yep. The timing of which also feels very telling that they held on to these parts of her body for years, but felt confident enough to release her remains to her family within two years after Cecil Wallace Sr. died. I don't know if more charges are to come in regards to this case, but it's widely accepted throughout the community that Cecil Wallace Sr. was the one to murder Amanda. Amanda's mother now is focusing on what she can do to help other families and children in the future. It's never sat well with her that Amanda was treated as a runaway, and she acknowledges that even though Amanda was probably dead before she was even reported missing, that those first few hours and days are so important in situations like this, and she's hoping to launch a campaign to prevent kids from being labeled runaways in the system. I looked it up, and in Michigan, the law requires police enter vulnerable or endangered people reported missing, including children, into three different databases. The Law Enforcement Information Network, the National Crime Information Center, and the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System. Additionally, missing children have to be entered into the state's Missing Child Information Clearinghouse. And Amber Alerts are triggered if police believe that a child under 18 has been abducted as an, and is in imminent danger of serious bodily injury or death. So regardless of whether police believe a teenager is a runaway, they should be trying to find them just as urgently as if they believe they've been abducted. And it seems that the process now is meant to do that. Yeah. It's just then up to the individual officers to take it Seriously. very seriously. I did do a little bit of research into runaways for this case. I know that Amanda wasn't a runaway, but it got me thinking about how runaways are handled, and not only by police, but by society. Like, the worry just isn't there for children runaways like it is for those who are taken, and to an extent I understand, but when a child is taken, like, it's simple and it's horrible and everybody wants to help, but when a child runs away, it's so much more complex and it's easier for people to just take the approach of minding their own business. Yeah. When really, runaways are facing incredible risks as well. The majority of kids who run away from home report that they were being physically or sexually abused. 
80% of the girls who were runaways reported that they'd been abused at home, and runaway girls are more likely to be sexually abused after leaving home. The longer a runaway youth is homeless or out on the street, the more likely they are to become involved in crime and drugs and to be arrested in the future. Over half of runaway kids also reported having some mental health issues in their life prior to running away. These kids are at such high risk for so many issues and are usually running away from situations that are not good for them. Right. This isn't even factoring in the LBGTQ kids and are more that are more likely to run away from home and more likely to stay with strangers than heterosexual cis kids, which puts them at risk for abuse. And these youth are twice as likely to report food insecurity issues than straight children. The police, when dealing with runaways, don't have very many good options, though. They can return them back home to their parents, but half of runaways were either kicked out of their homes or they were allowed to leave by their parents, and we just discussed a significant amount of the kids come from homes where abuse is happening. Police can get adults to temporarily agree to let kids stay with another known adult, and they, or they can take them to a shelter for runaways if one is nearby, or they can hold them at a juvenile detention facility. There's also a federal law that prohibits any law enforcement agency from having a waiting period before taking a runaway report. So if your child goes missing and it's been 30 minutes, the police are not allowed to tell you to wait any certain length of time. If this ever happens, demand to speak to somebody else. I don't know if there's a law prohibiting the waiting period for adults either, but approach it the same way. Like if you have somebody who you don't know where they went and you've checked everywhere you can think of and you have that worried feeling, call the police and if you're told to wait a certain length of time, demand to talk to somebody else because I feel like that happens so often in cases where somebody calls and they're told it hasn't been 24 hours yet yeah. or they wait to call because they think they're supposed to wait a certain length of time. Don't do that. If you're worried, call right away. And there was like with Girly Chew, with yep. that situation, the police didn't take them seriously at first, but then they just called back and were like, no, we know something is wrong. You're going to do something about this. And police responded. I'm interested to see how this case progresses over the next few years. I'm very interested to see if there will ever be official answers as to what happened that night in July. I do think that it's clear who did it. What's not clear is why and who knew what about it. Yes. My theory is that possibly with the move happening and Amanda getting older and having been through all of this shit, that she might have reached a point where she was done and she didn't want to be a victim of anything anymore. I think that maybe the move could have made her think, like, I get to leave this behind you're not going to be able to hurt me anymore. She seems like she was a bit of a fighter. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> um, from the people that I've asked about who, like, how she was, she was fun, um, cheerful, but she also, like, she definitely loved, like, she wasn't afraid to say what she thought. Yeah. And she wasn't, she was honest. So I almost wonder if she went over to her friend's house that night determined not to let some creepy fucking dude affect her and maybe she even like confronted him that she was going to tell on him once she was far away and like safe yeah because i could see 13 having the logic of being like fuck you i'm gonna tell people what you did what the fuck are you gonna do about it yeah um and maybe he was worried that she would even if she hadn't said anything maybe he panicked maybe Um, she fought back when he tried to assault her and it pissed him off I feel like somebody would have heard something in the house, which is probably why they're looking into other family members. 
But yeah, this was just a case that hits very close to home. A case that is very frustrating because you know that people knew. Yeah. They're like... For a long time. And this man did not deserve to be protected by anybody. Nope. And it was... It's just... It's just sad. And this man did not deserve to get the opportunity to take the way out that he did. No, not at all. Uh, Yeah, but... Oh, like, what do you expect a coward to do, right? Yeah. (laughs) So, that was a short episode, but it was, in my opinion, very important. This case, I think, because we've both grown up with this. Yeah. I mean, my, um, my brother was friends with the partner of Amanda Lanky when they were younger so it was definitely interesting seeing a teenager be like a person of interest in a murder and uh I was really young because I'm a few years younger than you Mm -hmm. so I was definitely a few years younger than them and uh it was it was wild like it it made White Cloud definitely not seem as safe yeah See, and something for me, too, that made me so mad, like I said earlier, I grew up hearing a lot of the story of, well, she was talking to somebody online, and she snuck out to meet them, and that's, and it was almost this vibe of, like, she had brought it on herself by sneaking out to meet somebody she shouldn't have. But even if you... And so that's infuriating, because, like, even if she did, she's a teenager, kids make mistakes. Yeah. But, like, that's not what happened. Nope. No. She was trying to enjoy a sleepover when a creepy-ass adult couldn't fucking keep his hands to himself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she just... But then she, for some reason, was, like, shit on being, like, the kid who snuck out and got herself killed. Yeah. And that's not fair. And, I mean, there's... There's so many memorials in White Cloud for Amanda Lanky, and... Her family does a really good job at trying to keep her memory alive. Yeah. And bring attention to the case. Yep. And, uh... It was, I, I admire her mom, too, because it takes a lot of strength to start a campaign after that much grief and that much chaos in your life from having your daughter hurt like that. Yeah. After all of the hurt she'd already been through. So that is another end to another Dead Endings. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs>